Well, hey everybody, good morning, and welcome to Resurrection City Church. My name is Joel, I'm one of the pastors here, and if you're visiting, welcome. We are so glad that you are here. I know a lot of people uh, have come today because it is a baptism Sunday, and so we have uh, some visitors here, uh, maybe friends or family of some of the people that will be getting baptized later today. If, if that's uh, you, I want to offer you a special welcome. Uh, thank you so much uh, for coming out today. Um, we are going to be talking about baptisms today, and to kind of set that up, uh, I want to take you back to the early 2000s. Um, if you remember the TV show Cribs, this is probably one that um, maybe a few of you in the room are too young for this show, but, um, but, but most of us remember this show. It was this show where MTV would send some cameras into some, some person's house, some celebrity, someone we already knew was rich, and would just uh, go around their house and let this person... Uh, kind of show off all you know their their massive twenty room mansion you know that in a year they only see fifty percent of this place or show off all of their cars all their toys all the stuff uh, that their money has bought them and um, and and it would be these trophies that they'd be showing off whether it was their house or their cars or their pools or whatever it was these trophies that would say uh, they would point to this story that these people had in their lives, right? The story of, of, I've made it, I've accomplished the peak of the American dream. I've worked my butt off. I've, I've overcome adversity. I've been self-sufficient. And here is what I deserve. This big old honking house that I get lost in and in and several cars that go so fast that I can't really drive them uh, and, and be fully satisfied unless I'm like in Montana or something like that. And, and, and we get this, right? Like when, if we see someone pull up to, next to us at a red light somewhere and they're driving like a Lamborghini or something like that, um, or if or if we're, we're, we're driving around and we see this, this massive mansion and we see some people living in it, um, we know that, that, that the, the fact that someone is driving that car or living in that house points to some, some story of, of how they or someone else in their family accrued all this money, right? And we know that there, there must have been some story to that. And, and we can kind of get a sense for, for how that person views the world, the story that they're living in. Another example of, uh, of what, I'm, what I'm trying to describe is, is bumper stickers, right? We are really good at putting symbols on our cars, at least some of us, not a lot of people do this, right? But some people like to put symbols on their cars that point to how they view the world or, or what narrative that they occupy, right? D different positions that they hold, which, which are symbols of, of how they see the world that they live in. Right, so like if you see a bumper sticker that has some really conservative thing on it, you can know that that person views the world through a certain lens. Right, they they view it as as there are all these progressives or people that are pushing into the world and they're trying to to encroach on our way of life and change things and ruin things. And if you pull up next to someone that has like a really liberal bumper sticker, you can tell that the story that they live in is is we've got to overcome the backwards and bigoted nature of of the people that are in charge. We've got to undo um, all the stuff that they've done that are disadvantaging all sorts of different people or whatever, right? Okay. And so we can tell by the types of bumper stickers that people have. Like this is the narrative. This is the way in which they view the world. That's how they, they see adversity and there are characters within this story. And they're, they're just a part of that story. And we can tell through the symbols that they have. 
right? With bumper stickers, maybe we do it in less controversial ways, right? I'd rather be blank. I'd rather be fishing right now. I'd rather be at the lake. Shows how this person views the world. It shows us what the good life is. The heaven will look like this someday, right? If, if I can just get to the point where I'm able to do all of this, and I've been working, I've been building towards that, and, and, and this is what it's all been about, right? If, if, if you see a bumper sticker like that, or, or maybe even something as simple as my kid is a scholar at his or her elementary school, you can kind of get a sense for the story that this person is living in, right? The story that, that their kid is going to be the next Mark Zuckerberg or whatever, right? I'm exaggerating a little bit, right? But you kind of get a sense for that, right? That stuff, right? We, we can kind of see uh, the way in which symbols that we have, that we put around ourselves, point to some kind of story. We're all really good at doing this. It, it can even come down to the clothes that we wear or the things that we hang up inside of our houses or, or, or put on, side our, on our desks at work. Now, for Jesus and the apostles, it was important that there were symbols that that helped the understanding of the people in the movement that they were helping to start um, understand the story that they were living in for, for, for the community and for the whole world itself to see. And these symbols would root them in the story that God was, was telling about how he was breaking into the world. The story of redemption, the story of new creation, the story of reconciliation and hope. A story that is as big and as old as the universe itself. And so all of these, these things are rooted in the gospel. The story is rooted in the gospel. The, the gospel of Jesus taking on flesh, preaching God's kingdom, living perfectly faithful to God, dying on the cross, and then rising again to offer us new life. And so, so these symbols get put in place to root people in that story. And, and different churches will call these symbols different things. Um, You'll hear words like ordinances used, or sacraments, or different things. These are, these are just these key markers that all Christians, all true Christians, um, uh, take part in that roots all of them in what God has done. Now, for different traditions, these things uh, function differently, right? But, but the thing that remains the same is that all of them point to the gospel. If you really dig in and understand how these traditions view these sacraments or ordinances, we see the way in which they point back to the gospel story of Jesus. One of these symbols is baptism. And that's the thing that we're celebrating today. Okay, the symbol of dunking people, fully immersing them into water, and then pulling them back out again, symbolizes the central story of the Christian life. And so, what I want to do today is I want to spend some time in a passage where the Apostle Paul explains how baptism specifically points to this story. So we're going to be spending our, our time here in Romans 6, starting in verse 1. So if you have a Bible, uh, please open and tur turn to that uh, passage in Scripture. Now, before we can understand this passage, we have to understand something that is fundamental to Paul. It shows up all over his, his epistles that he writes in, in, that are in the New Testament. And it's, it's this phrase, in Christ, or into Christ, or in Christ Jesus. Right? The Greek is en Christos Iesus. Okay? It's hard to get baptism if we don't understand this concept. Okay? And, and what, what this phrase is, is talking about is something that theologians have called a few different words. Um, participation, or incorporation, or maybe the most uh, widely used word, union. 
these words that all kind of describe what Paul means by this phrase. Now, what this phrase means for Paul, N.T. Wright says, says this, um, that Paul regarded the people of God and the Messiah of God as so bound up together that what was true of one was true of the other. And so if we're in Christ, then what is true of Christ is true of us and vice versa. Okay, we, we, have, we take on Christ's attributes or his qualities and he takes on our sin on the cross okay, because we are in him. And baptism is a symbol of our being bound up in Christ. What happens to us happens to him and what happens to him happens to us. We see this pictured in baptism and Paul explains this in Romans 6. Let's, let's jump into the passage here. Verses 1 and 2. Paul starts out and he says, What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? So in other words, Paul is saying, how should we live now? In light of what Christ has done, what kind of people are we going to be? And Paul says very clearly that we are people who have died to sin. We don't have any life with sin any longer. Now, to understand, understand sin, we, we, or understand this, we've got to understand sin. Now, sin just means missing, missing the mark. The Greek word for sin, hamartia, means missing the mark. Paul details specifically back in Romans 1, and we're not going to really go there today at all. I'm just going to kind of sum it up real quick for you. If this is the first time that you're being exposed to this concept or, or to really understand what, what sin is well, maybe it's a word we hear a lot, right? And it's a big word if we've grown up in the church, but we really got to understand it well to understand what, what Paul is saying when he talks about how we're, we were dead to sin. And he, he explains this really clearly in Romans 1. Okay? Paul says that what it means to be human... What it means to be as God created us is that we worship God. We have this image of God that has been placed into us. And, and, and what it means to image God is to, to worship Him, which means to give Him glory and honor as Creator and then to reflect His wise, loving, caring rule out into the world. This is what it means to be human and this is what it means to worship God. And this is what God has done in creating us. This has been the ex- expectation uh, for for how we live in the world. Now, what we've all done, and in our own different ways, is trade this this worship, this image-bearing vocation, for a lie. And the lie is this: that we can worship and ultimately image other things instead. Now, Paul says later on in this chapter, chapter six that we're in, that this is a form of slavery. What it is, is it's slavery uh, to our desires. And we get trapped by our desires, by, by chasing over them. And so instead of ruling them, just like we're supposed to do with, with other things in the rest of the creation, mirroring God's image, instead of ruling our desires, we get ruled over by them. And so we think that our own determinations for how we should live our lives um, are better than God's, and we get ruled by those desires. And it's all sorts of different things, right? Desires for satisfaction or gratification or happiness, desire for sex, for money, uh, for for value, for, from some other cultural source, and uh, for, for appeasing different people. Whatever these things are, we get ruled by the, those desires. And that worship leads to a breakdown of God's world because he intend, intended the world to be run by worshipful human beings. But when, when things aren't running the way they're supposed to, everything breaks down. 
And so we live in a world that is completely, uh, completely marked by the trading of worship of God for the worship of something else. But, and as Paul continues on in the book of Romans, he, he explains that we have received grace from Christ. Grace forgives and it breaks into our slavery. It comes freely to us with no regard for our worth or our value or our works. And it comes from nowhere else. And this grace sets us back on track. Now here's the thing about grace. It's not a cheap grace. Okay, It's not something that we can just uh, accept freely and not expect to, to have anything uh, come in, 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 in tow with it. Right? Um, it's an all-in kind of grace. It's a, it's a death to one thing and new life in another. This is what Paul is saying here. This is what marks out the grace that we've received in Christ. He continues on in verses 3 to 4. Or don't you know that all of us who are baptized into Christ Jesus, there's that phrase, into Christ Jesus, were baptized into his death. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead, through the glory of the Father, we too may have a new life. Now Paul introduces this idea of baptism, this, this thing that we're talking about today, and how it relates to sin and death um, and, and life, again, and, and unity in Christ. And Paul says specifically that you were baptized into his death. We are people then who have died to sin, because we have been baptized into the death of Christ. Now think about it. When you die, this is something we don't think about a lot because when, you know, when we actually end up dying, we're not even around to really think about it anymore. And if we do, we're, that's taking place in a different place than where the rest of us who are among the living are, are taking place, right? Um, but when you die, you no longer have a life in the world that you died to, okay? None of the, the, the particulars of that life uh, act on us anymore. We are completely dead to those things, okay? Death is a cessation of one thing, but also, and this is in the, the Christian view specifically, it's entrance into a new life, which has different content than the old one. The old particulars of it aren't in effect anymore. Recently, the show Game of Thrones com concluded its run on TV, and it's a show that many people were, were really into, and obviously were upset with the ending of, and uh, much, much, much good and much craziness and much bad has, has come in the wake of all that. But I think there's a perfect analogy for this in the show. Now, if you are, if you don't want to be spoiled, you're watching the show right now. I'd say uh, cover your ears or skip ahead if you're listening to this later on in a podcast form or whatever. But um, but Jon Snow is a part of of uh, the, the the Night's Watch, and this is this this group of people who have the task of of going and and serving on this wall and keeping watch for these enemies to the realm and it's it's a vow that you take on that um, that you 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 carry on and is only satisfied in your death that's the only time that this this vow is completely satisfied right the only way to fulfill this vow to 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 overwatch the empire is death itself now of course when you die um, you you are dead to everything right but imagine that someone would get killed um, and would come back to life again. Because that's what actually happens to, to Jon Snow in the show. Is he, gets, he gets murdered by his brothers in the Night's Watch and then he, he actually comes back to life again a few episodes later. 
Um, to no one's real surprise, um, he comes back to life again. But one of the things that really, really struck me when I was watching the show, and I think has such a great parallel to this, is that he says, listen, I've, now that I'm back alive again, I don't have to be part of this Night's Watch anymore. I have fulfilled my vows, right? I died. So this, this, the constraint of this life of being in the Night's Watch that I had before my death, is no longer has any bearing on, he, on me anymore. I'm alive to a whole new world of possibilities, right? And the same is true uh, for us because Christ dies on the cross, right? All of the things that were, were true of us in the past are now, um, are, now, are now no longer true for us in the present because of our unity to Christ and our unity in his death. So our slavery to sin is now gone, right? The, the, the calling and, and the, the desire to, to trade over worship of God for something else has been, has been crucified. It's been nailed onto the cross with Jesus himself. And so when Christ dies, we die to that old world with him. We die to that old slavery. So that, and this is what Paul says, we too may have a new life. As Christ rises again, we also rise with him into a brand new world with a new way of relating to this world that we still live in. And we are alive to the, the new redemption, the new hope, the new creation, the new forgiveness, the new community. We breathe completely new air. We have new goals. We have new joy. And this is all coming from our unity in Christ and His death and His resurrection. So what Paul's saying is don't be a ghost, right? If you've died to this old world, don't go back and haunt the, the life that you once lived in, right? Live alive to this new world that you're a part of. Now, baptism, this is where baptism comes in, is a symbol that points to the story, right? Think about baptism. Going down into the water, being completely immersed in the water, represents um, going into the grave, right? It represents a death. And then coming back up again out of the water represents coming out of that grave, a completely new person. And the water is symbolic for being washed clean, right? Being 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 coming out of the water and being clean again. The ancient ancient church, right? The very first church. Remember we talked about how it was so important for Jesus and the apostles for these symbols to mirror the story that was being told by God and and, and through Christ in the world. They they were well aware of this and we know this through how they they celebrated baptism. Douglas Campbell's a, a, he's a just a New Testament um, scholar, one one particular focus on Paul, he says, new converts to the Jesus movement, stripped off their own clothes, were immersed naked in water, and then probably received a gift from the new community of fresh new clothes. Most people in the ancient world possessed only one set of clothes, and for poor people, these quickly became dirty and ragged. So this gift of new clothes was an important practical marker of a new identity. So, so everything that they're doing, everything that comes along with baptism, um, has a goal of symbolizing this newness of life, even down to the very clothes that people wear. And so when they come out of that water, they put new clothes on and they leave that place wearing clothes that are now, now that are new, right? And, and she mark them out to be people who, who are different than when they went in that water in that first place. Now don't worry, you know, today we're not going to make anyone get naked. Please wear a swimsuit when we baptize you. Um, and sorry, we're not going to give you any new clothes today. I think you, you have plenty of, of clothes, right? It's not like you own one pair of clothes like the people in the ancient world, okay? But, but 
but keep this in mind, right? We want to keep this in place for ourselves as well. That that these that this symbol of baptism and everything that goes around it is pointing to this story of newness of life. Paul continues on in verse 5 through 7. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died, who has been, who has been set free from sin. See, Paul says like, Things go further than this. Not only are we, we have new life in the present. He says we've also been united with him in a resurrection like his. Or we will also be united with him in a resurrection like his. All that we've said so far correlates to newness of life now. But, and this is something that we're all aware of, right? Everyone who's been baptized, everyone who's throughout the last 2,000 plus years who have followed Jesus um, are aware of the fact that that we don't actually die, right? We're united with Christ, and, and we still um, have the pull or some of the constraints of our old life on us, right? Something we believe really real happens to us through God's Spirit, and when we believe in Christ, when we're united to Him through, through faith, through the Holy Spirit coming into us, we are actually made new on the inside. We're transformed in our hearts and minds, but it's still a challenge. We, we are still wading through the mud in many ways. Baptism isn't going to just fix all those problems, right? It's not going to make living dead to sin and alive to Christ super easy, right? You've all experienced that, okay? Because what what happens is we're, we're still kind of stuck in this in-between life. We're, we're kind of stuck in the middle of a Venn diagram, right? We're, we're in between people. We're in between death and in between life, kind of sandwiched in between those things, alive through, dead and alive through Christ in unity with him, but looking forward to something greater, which is a, a resurrection that will actually be like Christ when he returns someday and raises all those in him in a resurrection like he actually had when he came back to life again, okay? And so, so the hope that we have is not just that we will live new in the present, but it's which is still uh, swimming back upstream. But but a hope that one day, that when we are raised again with Christ, there will be no more temptation, there will be no more illness, there will be no more anxiety, no more uh, OCD, no more depression, no more poverty, no more. Uh, School shootings, no more death, no more having to fight against uh, the w- the way that this world is structured based on on rules that have been put in place that harm others and and cause us to to give away our own souls just to get ahead, right? That that harms God's creation. None, all of that will be gone, and the scars of our past sins that we have done and that have been done to us will become trophies to us of God's grace. And baptism, Paul says. Is a is a pointer is a is a guarantee in a sense uh, of of that being true for us someday, and so so if you come up to the baptism today, find hope in that as you watch people come go into the water and then come back out again. We like to close every sermon here at Resurrection City by by just having a couple of points of application, and today I'll, I'll, we're going to keep it short and sweet. Okay, first point of application: find yourself bound to the baptized. Because we all share the same story. Now, here's the thing. Baptism is something we can, we can definitely make as something that is, is very true of the individual. And it is, right? Certainly it is, okay? 
But it's not something that we do alone. Right? There's a reason that we're all going to get together and celebrate this as a church later today. Okay? Think about it like this. Baptism as, is seen by many scholars as a kind of new exodus. Right? If you go back to, uh, go back to the, the book of Exodus, we find this group of people who are slaves in Egypt, who, who are set free from their slavery and who go through the Red Sea to get away from this army that is pursuing them and wants to put them back into slavery. They go through the water. God parts the Red Sea. They cross through, go to the other side, and then the water comes back in. So, so these are people who have been set free from slavery who go through the water and then on out again and, and, and find themselves on the shores of a, of a new land, a, a new land of new possibilities. And so uh, you can imagine, right, that, that this group of people are standing on these new shore, this new shore on the other side of the Red Sea, looking back out, seeing the water, and, and distantly as they continue to look, seeing Egypt itself, Looking and seeing that, but, but understanding that because they've come through the water, they can't go back over to the other side. And they look around each other, and they see each other standing there with, you know, other people that have come through the water, standing there with them. And they say, listen, this is, this is my community. This is the people who have, who have gone through the same water that I have and now have come out the other side. How could I have a life? with anybody else, right? This is, this is the group of people who understand me the most at the most fundamental level, who have the same identity as me. People have, who have been set free from slavery and have gone through the water and have come up the other side. Now, I trust that you, that you see the parallel between this exodus and, and baptism, right? I trust that you understand why uh, scholars, you know, point this out and find these, these, these sort of allusions or references by Paul and other writers to baptism and, and the new exodus that takes place in it. And, and you will understand why baptism celebrations are communal things. Because it's a community of the dead and now alive people standing on the shore of new creation together, looking around and saying, these people are in the exact same place that I am. The most fundamental thing about them is the same for all of us. And so we have been kind of, we've been put into this new body together. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 12, uh, verses 12 to 13. We are all baptized into the same body. Whether we're white, we're black, we're Native American, we're Middle Eastern, we're Asian, whatever. Whether we're male or female. Whether we're young or old, Republican or Democrat. Whether we're part of the 1% or the 99%, it doesn't matter. We all share the same symbol, which points to the same story. And so we have a commonality with one another. And so, and so come on out and celebrate baptism with us today. Come on out. Come, come celebrate with others as they go in the water and come back out again. And celebrate that we have all entered this land of new creation together through our unity to Christ. Our death and our, and our new life through that. And then our second point of application. If this is your story, what are you waiting for? Okay, if this is your story, if what I've said today resonates with who you are and you've not been baptized, come up and find me or Julie after the sermon or after the service here today and, and talk to us about it. We have extra stuff in case you, you want to get baptized. We have extra clothes in case you, you want to do this. And let's make this happen today, right? There's no reason to wait on this. Okay, this, this symbol um, is, is so... Ad- 
crucial to who we are uh, as Christians, that there's no reason to wait for it. We're going to close our, our sermon and our service, just like we do every week here, with, with another one of these symbols that points to uh, this story that, that God is telling. Um, and that's the symbol or, or the ordinance or the sacrament of communion. Right? And this, this symbol points to this, the, the, the gospel of Christ, the story that God has told where Christ himself uh, gives up his own body and his blood for us. And, he, and we celebrate that by, by taking communion every Sunday morning to root us in this you know, ongoing remembrance of this story of what God has done for us. So we constantly remember ourselves to be people who are constituted through the death of Christ, the self-sacrificial giving up of Christ on our behalf. Okay, so um, please come up and and take part in ba- in communion with us. Um, we we just ask that you are a follower of Jesus. You don't have to be a member at Resurrection City or anything like that. Okay, we're in close in prayer here. Father, we thank you that you have uh, you have have given us the symbol of baptism, um, which points to the story, reminds us of what you have done for us in in the life of your son Jesus, who, who gave himself up for us on the cross and then who rose again to give us new life. I pray that we wouldn't be ghosts. We wouldn't go back and haunt our old lives, Lord, or feel that pull, but we would rather um, bind ourselves to those who have crossed over another side, encouraging one another um, and loving one another as we have all come onto this other side um, of, of, of the water together, Lord. Give us that grace. We pray this today as we do every other day. In Jesus' name, amen.